Welcome to Book Talk for Book Talk, a literary podcast where we have been deep diving into your favorite novels. This is Jack. And I'm Amy. And our listeners love to share their thoughts and theories via email and voicemail, so we're sharing some of them via our weekly mini episodes. The views expressed by the hosts and listeners are entirely their own and in no way represent the thoughts or intentions of the original author. This podcast is a discussion, shared to spark thought and conversation on the characters and themes of this novel. Spoilers may be discussed with or without warning. Explicit language, as well as themes of sex, violence, abuse, death, and depression will recur throughout this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to our mini-episode series. During each mini, we'll be reading listener feedback and theories, as well as discussing all things Sarah J. Mass, including her Akatar, Crescent City, and Throne of Glass series. So this email is from Sierra. I love the reincarnation theory you discussed today. Quote, all the key players have returned, is very reminiscent of Throne of Glass. I believe a very similar line was used in reference to Aelin having Brannon's fire, so I love the parallel. But if characters do reincarnate into a different world, do you think that means we'll be seeing characters like Reese's sister and the Pack of Devils, sans Danica, since she traded her soul to Anchor Bryce again? My Your face right now. Your mind is blown. <laughs> My face. Yeah. I'm thinking so hard. It would be really, really cool to see the pack of devils and Reese's sister reincarnate. I have wondered uh-huh. if Rune Dannon's mother is... Please Ru- say his name correctly. Rune Dannon, crown prince of the Valbaran Fae. Yes, thank you. His mother? Is Reese's mother reincarnated? What? And that's why they look alike. What? Oh, that hurt my brain, but in a good way. What? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. I see something happening behind no, those it, eyes. No, it doesn't make sense. Since... No, do it anyway. Like any of the theories out there make sense now. That's eh, true. I was going to be like, what if Bryce is a reincarnation of Rhysand's sister? Honestly, anything's up for grabs. Truth. So you and I mentioned, I think we were talking off camera. We're not on camera. And we were talking off mic of Cassian. And I was saying that if he dies, I think SJM is going to bring him back in a reincarnation. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I don't know if I love it. What are your thoughts if she does bring back Danica through reincarnation? Do we love or hate it? I hate it because I love that she killed off Danica. I mean, it's so messy because I love Danica. I love that she killed her off. But does that mean that she'd have Danica's memories, though? No, not you know necessarily. What I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Right? Well, and like Sierra says, Danica gave up her soul so that Bryce could have power. I bet Danica's somewhere in the hells with the prince Ooh, of hells. Ooh, that would be interesting. Yeah. guess. And who do we think is one of the princes of hell? Rhysand. So he's probably going to be able to let go of Danica's soul. So if Danica doesn't die, she can at the very least have her soul move on. Mm. <sighs> wow. Solved that. <laughs> there you go, Ashan. There you go. Just figure that out. <laughs> I mean, if we now know that Danica's soul hasn't moved on, guaranteed that's a plot point in the upcoming Oh, that's a fair book. point. I mean, Amy... If you find out my soul has been trapped somewhere, you're would not going to go. Would I go through the nine circles of hell to save you? Yeah. Yeah, I would. There we are. <laughs> yeah. Because you're glaring daggers at me right now. I want you so hard. <laughs> I'd be like, bitch, I helped you with your jumping. Light it up, Danica. Light it up, light it up, light it up. <laughs> yeah, Come fair. on, that's the saddest. Yeah, no, that's so painful. Light it up, baby. I listened to that audio so many times before I actually listened to the book. So when I finally listened to the book, I was like full on crying. Yep. Our next email is from Marley. This is a little bit of a long one. I did abridge it, but I thought it was so good I couldn't resist. This is about Silver Flames. Nesta and Eris are waltzing in the Court of Nightmares, and the description makes me think of the Black Swan, 
also known as Odile from the ballet Swan Lake. We're referencing Court of Nightmares, Silver Flames. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nesta's feet are described as, quote, Nesta's slipper-clad feet danced so fast they were a near blur. On the seventh spin, she twirled so swiftly she rose fully onto her toes. Ballet dancers are always connected to the shoes they wear called point shoes, which give them the support to dance on their toes. Ballet shoes are referred to as slippers, which is what Nesta is said to be wearing. Now, I don't think she would actually be wearing point shoes, as that would be weird for a dancer to do in a public place. But she would have to have tremendous ankle strength in order to dance on her toes, and not just that, but to spin on them multiple times. It's something I don't have. The Black Swan has a dance that is very popular in the ballet community, and it involves turning 32 times. Nesta's turns are described as being 12, but it does say that she does a little solo after the 12, and Eris comes back after that and turns her another three times. Even if it wasn't 32 turns, it was enough that of course people would take notice. What truly made me believe SJM was taking inspiration from the Black Swan dance is the description of the end of the dance. Quote, Nesta spun solo once more, three more precise perfect rotations as Eris dropped to a knee before her and held up a hand. The final note blasted and held, and Nesta halted with preternatural ease, taking Eris's hand in the same movement that her back arched and she flung up her other arm, the portrait of triumph. In the Swan Lake Ballet, this same pose is done by Odile and the Prince. It is when Odile knows she is won and the Prince is declaring his love for her or slash asking to marry her. Some other notes to further this is Odile in the story of Swan Lake is Odette, the female protagonist's evil twin. She goes to a ball to seduce the prince and make him declare his love for her rather than declare his love for Odette. That was the whole point of Nesta dancing with Eris, and it's also written, quote, she was seducing Eris within an inch of his life. After their dancing, Eris asks Reese for Nesta's hand in marriage. The prince in Swan Lake does the same after dancing with Odile. If you want to look at it from how SJM has her characters compare themselves and others to animals all the time, then the way you can look at this, it would mean for Nesta that she's the black swan in this moment. I mean, he sold me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's wonderful because Nesta is at war with herself the entire time in this book. I mean, Nesta is good. She is the good twin. She is the evil twin all within. Yeah, exactly. Which is the story of Swan Lake. But it's also kind of the concept of like the Court of Nightmares too, right? It's true. Is that everyone has to go there pretending to be that they're someone else. Yep. And also like, you know, she's wearing black. It's perfect. Black Swan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know SJM gets a lot of inspiration from other sources. Other sources. You got me. It was like, I'm sold. When you're reading the quote and the concept of like, Nesta's feet move so quickly, you couldn't see them. Have you seen the videos of those Russian dancers that it looks like they're floating? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> I yes. always kind of imagine that because like, what feet move that quickly? Like Russian dancers. Apparently. Russian dancers. I'm like, but like, what is she doing? Is she waltzing? Is there like, you don't, your feet don't move that fast with waltzing where you can't really see them. Well, in this, she's supposed to be spinning. I don't know what to tell you. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, I can't I help you here. <laughs> Customer service is shut down. Uh, please call again. During business hours. During business hours. Uh, yeah, it's funny because it's like SJM had such a clear vision in her head. Mm -hmm. And you can tell she is describing it to a T. Mm -hmm. But when you read it, I was like, this sounds silly. <laughs> no, but just I'm like, because I'm imagining someone on his knee being like, huh? Yeah. 
hand sticking up, hey? And she's like arching her back. And then someone else is on the side being like, I thought we were just slow dancing. <laughs> I thought we were just, you know. Just kind of swaying back and forth a little bit. I, I didn't realize. We were, I thought we were freak dancing. I don't yeah. know about you. Right? This is the court of nightmares. They were described as like gyrating. gyrating. Yeah, exactly. People are in the corner like dry humping, looking over at Nesta being like, what is this? What the fuck? Did she just twirl? She just, we're like having sex over here. All right. But I love what Marley is saying. Yeah. I think. You bring up a great point. I didn't notice it the first no. time I read Silver Flames. No, not at all. And that's why our listeners are smarter than us. That's right. <laughs> Thank they God. are more cultured than we are. Yeah, they are. <laughs> They're so much more cultured because we're like, food is real hungry. <laughs> food is good. I feel strong when I eat food. <laughs> Was the country accent too much? No. Okay. I just felt mocked slightly. Oh, I can do it for myself then. No, I'm just teasing you. Sex. <laughs> she fuck. <laughs> Address means feminine. We're real. <laughs> we're real cultured. Fair wants to fuck. <laughs> and eat. Or our favorite quote from episode one, season one. She She's hunting. out there hunting and fucking. fucking. <laughs> this email is from Grace. On your Mist and Fury deep dive, I remember Amy saying something about Farah's refusal to acknowledge her birthday was a rejection of her fayness. And I agree, but for different reasons. Because birthdays are an inherently human thing. Her refusal to celebrate and be celebrated shows that she feels unworthy of celebration because she is fay. She shows continued rejection of her innate aspects of human life throughout the series. Unfortunately, I don't have any examples on hand other than the fact that she doesn't initially want to have kids with Reese. Procreation is an innately human thing to do. I can see this about like she's not celebrating her human her happy birthday she's not celebrating her happy birthday this is we're recording at nighttime so yeah so we're tired i feel drunk <laughs> i only had 6 hours of sleep woo party i can definitely see that because we don't hear cassian talking about his birthday and yeah. if there is anyone who is going to celebrate a birthday it would be cassian it would be cassian not more or more i can see either yeah it's true and there's none of that no we get how old they are right but we've only ever gotten Farah's birthday meaning something. Right. Probably because they're all like, oh, my God, is she still not even in her hundreds? Wow. Wow. She's not even 20. 25. She's not even 25. I always thought about that, too. Like birthdays, just they're not a thing. They aren't a thing. But we know ages, right? Because high fae aren't fully adult until they're 80, roughly. Yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense, though, where they're going to live for so long. Why does a birthday matter type of attitude? Right. Because I feel that the older I get. Never. I'll celebrate this shit. Till... I know you do. You you make an occasion of your birthday. I do. It should be a national holiday. Don't get me started. <laughs> it should be. But I do understand like, oh, this feels less significant than it did when I was younger. Yeah, it feels less significant than when I was 250. <laughs> once you reach a certain age of 300 i mean that can be exhausting because how many times like i mean your birthday coming around i'm like oh i have like ideas but like i have ideas for at least the next five years for you what am i supposed to do after that come up with new ideas right i mean after 300 years i just couldn't get you gifts anymore it would just be too difficult <sighs> that's bullshit um <laughs> first off fuck that no <laughs> there's no year where that is too much but there's just you can only do a Taylor Swift themed birthday party for so long. Yeah, that's fair. I haven't reached that number personally. But at some point. Yeah. Once she stops putting out albums. There you go. No. 
Not even. <laughs> this email is from Tabitha. I had a thought while listening to season two, episode six. When you were discussing Rhysand showing Feyre the memory of Ianthe attempting to assault him, you both mentioned you felt the scene was only there to build sympathy for Reese. I, however, disagree, respectfully. I think this scene is important because it sets up for Wings and Ruin. Before, in Mist and Fury, Ianthe is shown as being apathetic to Feyre's emotions and mental health on top of just being plain mean. This made her catty and kind of a bitch, but a bitch and someone who would sexually assault someone is a big leap. This shows what she's really capable of, and I'm not sure Feyre would have looked out for Lucian if she didn't know about this intrusion on Resand. Tabitha, respectfully, I say touche. Uh, <laughs> I say good freaking point. Yeah. Um, you know what? You're, you're not wrong. No, you're not she, wrong. Absolutely. Tabitha nailed it on the head, and uh, I'm ashamed. Yeah. Sorry about that, Reese and SJM. But I mean, absolutely, because had we not had that, then Ianthe going after Lucian the way he did, which is a huge plot point initially, wouldn't make sense. Yeah, it would have felt out of character because we would have not seen any history of her acting that way. And we would have felt like Ianthe going after Lucian would have been a leap. And to Tabitha's point, Feyre would not have been as sympathetic to Lucian. Mm hmm. Completely, because she's relating it to Reese, which makes her even more compassionate. Yeah, you know what? Moral of the story, guys. Don't listen to us. Yeah, respectfully don't listen to us. <laughs> because we're not right. We're not the be-all, end-all, that's for not sure. Not at all. Not Basically, one. we're saying you've wasted your life listening to us. I mean, I wasn't going to go that <laughs> far. I'm, I'm just teasing. Yeah. But I love that. I love that so much. I mean, again, uh, relying on other people's smartness to now carry us through. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. This comes from Anna. Just got to the end of season one, episode 10, when you discussed Tamlin's controversy back when Akamov came out. You have discussed that Reese is also doing questionable things in Akatar. I think this is mirrored when Akasif came out and some people were horrified that Reese was not the Saint Farah sees him as. He has been morally gray from the start, and Nesta sees this clearly. So both a mirroring in the portrayal of the book, but funnily enough, also in the fandom. Farah has been forgivingly very blinded by her love for him and is still a little naive around him. In the coming books after Akasif, she will hopefully start to demand to know more about all the stuff Reese still hasn't told her. I also think he's been withholding info because we, the readers, can't know this yet for plot reasons. I really love the podcast. Keep it up. Thanks, Anna. I loved Anna's point about the fact that sometimes information is withheld from Vera because we as readers just aren't entitled to the information yet. Yeah, that's the f- that's the best part where it's like, look, plot wise, guys, it, Vera can't know. Yeah. So Reese has to be gray. Yeah, yeah. And we rag on him for keeping information from her, but it wouldn't be a good plot. If she knew. <laughs> if she knew, like... <laughs> it's unfortunate that our good plot is her mate's failing. Right, right. It's true. It's true. <laughs> now we get these books and we're able to analyze it because SJM's just like, sorry, you can't know yet. I think I said it one time to you where an actual healthy love story would be the least interesting. Like, I would love to have a love story that's not interesting Yeah, because it's just two grown adults who've figured out their shit and their baggage mm-hmm. come together mutually come you know like and in a world of healthy communication right exactly there was this tiktok series and i wonder if they're still doing something but it was like how emotionally healthy character or how i would react type thing if i was in a romance book 
And the guy comes up and goes, babe, babe, I swear it's not what it looks like. I'm really upset right now, but okay, go ahead and explain. Wait, what? No, no. I mean, you said it wasn't how it looked, so I'm willing to hear you out. But, you know, there's a history with this one woman. I understand that. Wow, this is a really reasonable explanation. Like, and yeah, it's just yeah. like, and the plot is done. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me of all those memes. I see a lot of Star Wars memes. And it's Anakin as a boy going to Qui-Gon Jinn and it's like, I want to become a Jedi. And then Qui-Gon Jinn's like, no. And then it's created by George Lucas. You know, like, <laughs> if there was no plot whatsoever. Just remember, kids, if you find yourself in a sticky situation in life, just ask yourself, how can I eliminate the plot? Exactly. Exactly. That's it. How can I prevent angst? Yeah. And there's your answer. Healthy life. Boring book. <laughs> healthy, healthy life. God, I need it to rhyme. Health- healthy life. No strife. I was about to say the same thing. I'm so proud of us. <laughs> so proud of us. This next email is from Alice. Okay, I've read this book multiple times, and I'm still bothered by this. Cassian and Azrael get Lucian and Feyre in Akawar. Page 124. Feyre hugs Moore and says, where is he? He being Reese. Moore says, he? It's a long story. Far away, but racing home right now. He picked up on you and the bond minutes ago. The three of us were closest. Then, six pages later, Reese says, When the bond went dark, I thought, by the time I got to the spring court, you'd vanished. Tamlin was raging through that forest hunting for you, that you hid your scent, and even I couldn't, couldn't find you. Three pages later, Mm -hmm. Feyre is questioning where Reese was when she was rescued. He tells her, I was on the continent, at the human queen's palace. It's the quiet on their side of the sea that bothers me. No whisper of armies gathered, no other human allies summoned. Since Hybern, we've heard nothing, so I thought to see for myself why that is. I just neared the edge of their territory when I felt the bond awaken again. I knew the others were closer, so I sent them. So, Alice says, Reese felt the bond go dark, then went to the spring court and saw Tamlin tearing the forest apart, and he knew Feyre had been on the run. Then Reese ran to spy on the queens. Instead Mm. of trying to find Feyre or waiting on her, Mm -hmm. Reese just went and ran an errand real quick. (laughs) And in quotation marks, oh, shit, Feyre's coming home. I better get busy. Yeah. (laughs) This has always bothered me, and I need y'all's expert opinion. I love y'all's podcast so much. I just sit and laugh along with y'all like it's the three of us in a room chatting about these books. Oh, my God. Okay. I actually have an answer. Okay. Uh, Love the call out, though. It's If I was Feyre, I'd be like, why weren't you looking for me? Yeah, exactly. Deductive reasoning wasn't there. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know when this mini episode comes out. Hopefully we're not spoiling anything. But we talk about Reese having self-destructive behaviors when he's stressed Mm. to the point where it's becoming self-harm. And his mission is to not live at the end of this book. He doesn't want to live. And his actions show that. And the reason why he's living is for Farah. And I think that in the beginning, we really can see that the more stressed he becomes, the more reckless he becomes yeah. with his own safety. So to me, look, I agree. <laughs> like, What the fuck was he doing? Like, Realistically, he should have been like, all right, her scent disappeared. Which court does she go to? There's only a couple options. Let me y- use some reasoning. She's, yeah. you know, maybe I noticed that Lucian's not there. Maybe he might be with her. Maybe it's the autumn court. You know what I mean? Like, there's just right. like logic that could have been done there. But 
only because we've been doing this analysis, I really do think that he's losing it, man. He is stressed out and does not care what happens to him. Yeah. Now that you say that, I wonder to what extent he assumes maybe there is a high likelihood that Pharaoh is dead. Yeah. And so he goes on this destructive behavior. It reminds me of Edward and Bella Mm -hmm. in New Moon when he goes to Italy. Yeah. Because he thinks she's died. Yeah. I I totally think that, yeah, like he, he didn't say, I thought you died, but I'm sure that's what he thought happened. But again, I don't think it would take that much effort to be like, hey, wow, everyone here lost their power. So weird. So strange. So strange that everyone in this camp doesn't have powers. Yeah. And the two closest courts are the summer court and the autumn court. And in the summer court, we're wanted dead. So maybe she went to the autumn court. I mean, send Asriel to one court. You go to the other court. Yeah, like, that's true. You know, I agree. There's a lot of things that should have happened. Not great for the plot. But I think like if we want to examine him as a character in his own mindset, It just shows how not okay he is. Yep. 100. This comes from Sarah. I love what you two are doing, not only for Akatar, but for the romance fantasy genre as a whole. I have to admit that I definitely thought SJM's writing was bland on my first read through, but the characters just had me hooked and I became obsessed, even if I eye rolled at her writing sometimes. The podcast has shown me why I love these books so much and makes me appreciate the thought SJM put into her writing. Okay, preambled over. I mean, I appreciated it. Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) You both rock. (laughs) Thank you. This is an old thought of mine, but way back in season one, you highlighted a quote from Amarantha. Quote, You human beasts are so uncreative. We spent years teaching you poetry and fine speech, and that is all you can come up with? I should rip your tongue for letting it go to waste. I've always found Farrah's comeback pretty lame. Jack makes this comment as well at one point, and I never see Farrah getting better at her retorts. We know SJM is better than that. We see it with Cassian and Reese all the time. So what if Farrah is meant to just sound a bit lame because she's still human at heart? She never fully learns how to speak cunningly and manipulate like the Fae. This, at least, makes Farrah's character a bit more likable for me. What a great thought. Mm -hmm. Farrah is a little lame. Yeah. I think that's why, like, TikTok makes fun of her so much, too, is that she's she's not cool. Yeah, she's not cool. She's not not witty. No. But I like that thought that, you know, she's human. They're not as educated. They don't appreciate the finer things that Faye have had access to. I mean, don't get us wrong. Farrah has her moments. Like, there's definitely moments where I'm just like, that is that is funny. But she's not like the personalities that surround her. But like you said, and like Sarah said, it really, yeah, I think that's a really valid thing. It's what makes her so human. (laughs) Yeah. And I like that SJM keeps that characterization because Mm -hmm. Farrah's been Faye for, what, a year yeah. Not even by the time we get to Akawar. Yep. So, of course, she hasn't become the manipulative, poetically speaking, witty fae that she's surrounded by. Yeah. You have to manipulate people and you can't manipulate people if you're not eloquent or charming mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you have to have tools in your arsenal. And Farrah doesn't have those tools because all she's needed in her arsenal is a bow and arrow. So it's OK, Farrah, to be dumb. <laughs> Sorry, you're not dumb. Just you're still growing, baby girl. You're not as quick-witted as you think you are, Feyre. There are points in Akawar where she thinks that she is smooth as hell. And she is not. And she is not. I, I actually thought she was pretty funny in Akatar. 
But I don't think she was trying to be funny. I don't. Th- I think it was just ironic. I think I think so too. <laughs> but then as it gets farther along and she thinks she's being funny, I'm like, ooh, no, I liked it better when you when you didn't know you were when you funny. didn't know because <laughs> now you're trying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you for listening to this mini episode of Book Talk for Book Talk. We encourage you to rate and subscribe to our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We would love to hear your thoughts based on today's conversation. You can submit your comments to our form at booktalkforbooktalk.com or via our Camflare voicemail system. Please visit booktalkforbooktalk.com for more information. You can also follow us on TikTok or Instagram at the handle booktalkforbooktalk. Bye! Bye!